What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, BJ Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. I'm your host, BJ Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. And today we're trying something a little different. It's a first time to try a little video chat and I thought that uh, there'd be no better person to try that with than the uh, one and only Mr. Pat Jones. How you doing, sir? Oh, you're too kind. <laughs> well, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, I know you're a busy man and your schedules and uh, this <laughs> no, is... <laughs> BJ, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm unemployed, BJ. <laughs> I, got, I got time on my hands right now. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, um, Let's uh, let's kind of start there. What have you been up to? How things been going? Uh, what are you seeing in the world out there? And uh, I know uh, you you've been talking a bunch and things like that. Just kind of see. Tell me what you, what's been happening. Right. Well, I, I, I'm thankfully I'm the busiest unemployed guy in the world. I, I have I do have a lot of stuff going on. You know, I I, I am used to a certain schedule after 15 years of, of running uh, magazines and such. And so uh, now I'm doing that for myself. I, I'm working with a variety of companies and distributors and associations to sort of help them achieve their marketing goals and mm-hmm. to make it a, a make their connection with customers better. And some of that's content, you know, it's, it's articles and videos and, and campaigns and things. And some of it's just doing a better job of connecting. Yeah. So a little bit of everything. I do some research for folks and all sorts of stuff. But but as you mentioned, I still love going out and giving talks and teaching classes and things. So uh, there, there's always plenty of that stuff to do. And uh, I live here in Cleveland, Ohio, which means uh, we're, we're thoroughly enjoying an early spring sunny day. Yeah. And uh, we, we are ready for uh, ready for it to not be crappy and snowy anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've heard the weather that we've had in the recent uh, yeah, last few days. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. been a. It, I was unaffected. Most people south of Nashville. I'm in. I'm a little south and west of Nashville, uh, but um, yeah, it's been it's been rough. Have you have you been in contact with anybody? Uh, yeah, definitely. Shout out to the Better Billy Bunker guys. They yeah. got hammered. Uh, that that that's uh, and 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 what I'll say about that is that. The, the last several years now when there have been hurricanes and, and parts of the southeast and Florida got hammered, mm-hmm. the Better Billy Bunker guys stepped forward and they offered support and financial support and, and help to superintendents. And I hope we all do the same for them. Yeah, for sure. I think there there's a lot of people reaching out to them and, uh, you know, they were hit pretty hard. And so uh, prayers to those guys and everybody involved. But, yeah, um, a lot of people in our industry affected. It, it uh, was a rough one. For sure. Well, fundamentally, that's the nature of the beast. Is this this idea of man versus nature? Yep. <laughs> and, or woman, or woman versus nature? For sure. And, and, 
And, and I think that uh, that's just something that, that we all deal with and that, that if you don't learn to, to accept the fact that Mother Nature is just going to slap you upside the head every once in a while, you probably need to find a new business. I, I agree. I agree. Well, uh, thanks for sharing a little bit of that. And, uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's kind of start at the beginning. How did you uh, get to where you've got and how, what caused you to have an interest in the, uh, in the turf and green industry? How did you <laughs> take me back to the beginning? Well, pure dumb luck. I, I got a job uh, kind of by accident at the Golf Course Superintendent Association of America in Lawrence, Kansas All right. in, 19, in 1987. And, and so I grew up there in Lawrence and I went to school and I, I, I majored in journalism and, and communications and writing and things. Yep. Um, and then I went off to law school for a couple of years, which uh, looking back, I, I think I'd probably put a gun in my mouth before I'd go to law school again. Uh, <laughs> but but it was, you know, so I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, and I had this degree in journalism and I knew there was this thing in Lawrence that had something to do with golf. And I knew they had a magazine because uh, have, do you know the name uh, Palmer Maples? Yes, you know I, Palmer? Do. I do. Well, at the time, Palmer had moved his family up to Lawrence. Uh to, for the good of the profession, certainly not because he needed a job particularly, sure. for the good of the profession, he moved his family up to Lawrence and was running the education department at GCSAA. So, you know, here, here's a guy who's already contributed mightily, mightily to the profession, and, and he does that too. So I played football with Palmer's son in high school. He and I were, he and I were guards on the football team. There you line. go. <laughs> and, uh, uh, he was better than I was too, and uh, uh, so but so I got to know them a little bit, and I knew that that, that there was a single Lawrence that Palmer worked at and had something to do with golf, and so I applied there one day, and they, to to my amazement, hired me, yeah. and and I haven't left since. So that was in August of 1987, and um, you know it was uh, it was an interesting time because GCSA was growing very fast, and there was a, a lot of there was a lot of growth in golf. So I think when I started there, there were 23 employees on the staff. Yeah. And by the time I left, close to 10 years later, it had to be close to 100 employees. I mean, it was just crazy. But yeah. golf had done the same thing, too, during, sure. the, during the 90s. We, we built 4,000 golf courses, um, many of which we didn't need. Um, uh, so, so GCSA benefited from that, and I benefited from that. And I ran the... I ran the, the lobbying programs and environmental stuff and I ran the magazine and everything else. It was just a great experience for me. Uh, so, so I did that, and then I just never really left. I, sure. I, I, stayed, I stayed involved in the industry even after I left the association in the, in the mid-'90s, and then I, I eventually ended up moving to Cleveland. I started Golfton Magazine and did that for about six or seven years until I got myself fired because I was an alcoholic. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, what do you and, do? <laughs> and, and, uh, and so I, I did my own thing. So, so actually, you, oh, wait a second. You fired, you got fired from the magazine you started. How'd that work? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's gotta be a story there somewhere. <laughs> well, there's, there's lots of stories. There. Uh, no, it, it was, it was, I, I was not a good employee in that environment. Yeah. And, and that was one indication. And then my most recent foray in the corporate world, I think was more proof that I don't really work and play well in large organizations. <laughs> I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a cowboy. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it, 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 
it's been proved to me a couple of times, but, but, but the one thing I, 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 I never wanted to do was leave the industry just because sure. I like the people so much. And, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's, I, I've had my ups and downs, but I've always kind of been, I, what, what I've always valued the most is the ability to communicate with and teach and, and learn from golf course superintendents. Yeah. What do you think that, um, is the biggest hurdle that golf course superintendents have to get over right now? I think I think blowing up the, the business model, the historic business model of we're going to hire 15 people at eight dollars an hour and, and solve all of our problems that way yeah. because you can't do it anymore. Yeah. You, you, and this is not news to anybody, but the, the 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 effective minimum wage in golf, if you look at the statistics, is about ten dollars and sixty cents an hour. And that's 50% under the effective minimum wage in landscaping. Yeah. It's well under the effective minimum wage in uh, roofing and, and uh, basic carpentry and other things that, that that same workforce could probably handle. Sure. So, so we have to figure out a whole different way to do this. And, and so we, we've got to change our standards. We've got to look to, uh, you know, everybody, uh, one of the things that everybody knows about me is I'm Mr. Robot Mower, but, <laughs> but there's a reason for this. And that's that there's no other effective solution for the labor challenge that we have in golf other than automating things. And the easiest thing yeah. to automate yeah. is mowing. Sure. So, so, you know, the, the, there was an announcement made recently that the, uh, that the MTD folks, the Cub Cadet folks, are backing away from the autonomous greens mower. And then I can tell you flatly, they just ran into some insurmountable technical challenges with that particular design okay. and that particular piece of technology. It doesn't reflect on the concept and the viability of robot mowing at all. Yeah. It's just the path they went down, they got to the end, and they couldn't make it work. So I, I think you're now seeing a lot of, of momentum around that. So, so, but bottom line, autonomous operations, changing the way we look at hiring from hiring 15 minimum wage people to 10 people uh, who we pay a better than average wage. We, we treat them well and we keep them. And then we overcome the, the small labor challenges in other ways. Yeah. But, but there's just no way to continue to do what, we, what we've done in the past. Do you think that would have ultimately uh, impact uh, uh, quality or ex expectations, or is or do you see that not being as big of a challenge? It depends, you know, and, and that's the thing is it, it's, it's every level has their different challenges. You know, there's no there's no one golf market. Right, there's probably six or eight, yeah. and at the highest level, the top one thousand clubs, this doesn't affect them at all. Mm, I agree. It, it's, I agree. It's, it's, but but you can start getting down that second the second level. Yeah, you're going to have to. You're going to have to go to your club, and, and, and this has a lot to do with standards, has a lot to do with, 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 with establishing and communicating standards. Here's how often we mow every week. Here's how often we edge bunkers. Um, these, are, these are our standards. Now, if you want more, it's, we're going to have to give up something else here. So there's always trade-offs. Yeah. So I think superintendents are going to have to get better at talking about those trade-offs and, and talking about what they can and cannot do in a world where you just can't hire people for eight dollars and sixty cents an hour. Yeah, yeah, those days are over. I mean, it's uh, it, it's no sh secret that labor is the. I mean, I asked that kind of knowing the answer was the hurdle was the the labor portion of this is just something that uh, is coming down the pipe, and so that kind of leads me to where technology you see technology going 
outside of the obvious things that we've kind of talked about autonomous mowers you know uh sprayer and um you know cutting down things and with the sprayer technology what mm-hmm. where do you see the technology for superintendents and even landscapers in general going well look at farming yeah. <laughs> you know exactly so, yeah so we're, we we trail agriculture by about 15 years on all this stuff all the gps based systems and yeah. all of that kind of stuff and, and they've already revolutionized parts of our business. I, I interviewed um, a few weeks ago. I interviewed the, the 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 incoming and outgoing president of the GC, of the GCBAA, the Builders Association, and I asked them some of the same questions. And the one question was, "What's the single technology that's changed your business the most?" And they both said GPS, without any hesitation at all. So so yeah, it it, it is changing the way do do business. Now that said. They already have this problem with people thinking, oh, I could be a golf course builder. All I need is a bulldozer with a GPS attachment. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, so it doesn't solve all your problems. But, but, I, but I really do think that that's, that's going to be the, the – so autonomous systems, uh, GPS helping you to be more efficient and effective in your use of inputs, mm-hmm. right? And, and then figuring out what to do about the cost of water in parts of the country where water is just too expensive. Um, you know, and, and, and here in the Midwest, we don't think about that much right? because either we have free water or relatively dirt cheap water. And if we do have to use city water, we're using it at a, a ridiculous price as a, as a secondary thing. But if you get out west and you get into the south, uh, you're running in more and more where, where water is becoming prohibitively expensive for golf courses. So I, I, I do think you're going to see uh, the uh, Another round, so we've been closing about 180 golf courses a year, and we're still opening either brand new or complete redos about 10 or 12 golf courses a year, believe it or not. Really? I didn't um, know that. But, yeah, well, most of, them are, most of them are Stream Song and Sand Valley and Bannon Dunes and these destination places that are super cool yeah. and the Sweetens Coves, these kind of... Uh, kind of specialized projects, which are really, really awesome, and it's really, really good for golf, but it's not... It's, 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 we're still going way backwards. You know, we're still losing about 1% of our, our, our inventory every year. So, you know, it's that, that is, is not going to change, but, but, you know, but so fundamentally, fundamentally just, just go back. So, so the next big change I think you're going to see in that, in that supply and demand equation is courses that can't afford water anymore. And they're mostly going to be in Southern California and places in the desert. Yeah. Uh, you know, Los, both Los Angeles and you know, Las Vegas have done buyouts where they'll pay you twenty thousand dollars to take turf out of turf out of uh, um, turf out of, of irrigation. I think the next thing flatly they're going to do is just raise the price. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think they, you know they've already used the carrot. Now they're going to use the stick. Yeah. I, I think it's you kind of touched on it, but I think it's kind of where I see is where do the mid-level to smaller courses, the mom and pops, where do they fall in all this? Because they're the they're instrumental in growing the game. They're the affordable ones, like you mentioned. The the top one percenters are they're they're just we're just they're just unaffected by this unless it's something like water that's going to drive them out. But where do you see the you know, the lower clubs, the mid, the mom and pops, the, the nine holes and all that, they're, they're so critical to our game. Um, how do we help them? And especially with technology changing and expectations and all that. Right. It, it, that's a great question. And, and it's really, 
and again, it kind of gets back to segmenting what golf is. Yeah. So we recently said, okay, here's the top 1,000 that this isn't going to change anything. They, they, they serve a, a market that can always be served. But go to the other end of the spectrum, right? The yep. bottom 2,000 courses. And you and I both know they have no resources. They, yeah. have, they have equipment that's 25 years old that barely goes. They probably don't have, in fact, they, they don't have a full-time superintendent. They're, they're kind of little community courses or sure. whatever else. They're charging 16 bucks for 18 holes. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know that there's, I don't know that there's a fix for those other than the fact that they're going to be converted into something that will ultimately make more money than a golf course. Um, but the middle of the market, the moms and pops, you see so much creativity there. Yeah. You see people doing smart things. I think that's where I've seen these, uh, simulators, you know, the, the various versions of top golf that are now coming into golf courses and simulators. I think those are great. I think the ones that understand that women are, are, are just, their money is just as good as men. Sure. <laughs> I, I think that they're going to do well. So, so it really comes down to creativity and a little bit of investment. Yeah. And, 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 and honestly, that's no different than any other business. Yeah. If we were talking, if we were talking about dry cleaners here, you know, that there was 15,000 dry cleaners in the United States and the top 1,000 were doing awesome and the bottom 1,000 needed to die, you'd say, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we don't think that way. We, we, we don't want to see golf courses go away. But the fact of the matter is it's healthy for all of us when it happens intelligently. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, but it, it, it's, it's a haves and haves not world, BJ. Yeah. You know, it's the, the haves, are, they have the, the funds to invest. They have the funds to, to look to the future and say, what do we need to do? to make sure that this golf course still exists 50 years from now. And the have-nots are – I just I just got an email the other day from a local course that shall remain nameless saying, hey, we're cutting our green fees for 2020. And I'm like, well, you're dead. You're dead. <laughs> yeah. it, it, discounting is a death spiral, yeah. and there's no return from it. So it, it, you, when, when people are trying to, to, to cut expenses to grow their business – doesn't work no it, it never has been a great model and uh you know I'm, I'm just concerned you know here in nashville we're i had this conversation the other day we're we're really private club heavy we have very yeah. little the in the in the public golf that's available is pretty pretty high end on the public side and, yep. and, and i see um a need uh kind of going back to the clubs that are you know that mid-level to lower level um, trying to figure out a way to to get those exposure because one here land cost is crazy. They're not going to build any more golf courses. If they do, yeah. they're so high end, like the Troubadour, you know, and that's kind of a redo of a redo of a redo. And you know, we've got these high. The, if they're not built around the massive re, uh, residential areas, then they're not right. coming in. And so I'm just, you know, the overall, I think the the uh, the the uh, golf is you know good here and oh and and everywhere else. But I'm just. I'm trying to figure out where the mid levels go, and I, and you're absolutely right. It's going to be one of those things. that's going to they're going to have to be creative and and uh, keep thinking about how to uh, without cutting expenses. Keep thinking about how to uh, raise their level of expectations and and what they're doing without uh, trying to you know cost themselves out of the market. Have you seen Have you seen courses go out of your out of business in your area where you were surprised? That they just failed out of the middle of nowhere and they closed up. No, uh, you know, the, <laughs> right. the, uh, the, 
I, what I will say is there were a lot of clubs that, that were in that 2008, 2009 that were kind of struggling, that kind of just shut down. They didn't do anything, but they've all just sprung up out of nowhere. And then the Grove is one, the Troubadour is another one, which was, I mean, those clubs just kind of sat there and then they came, they came back to life, but I haven't yeah. seen any that just kind of went away uh, that were, that were just surprising. I can't think no. of any. It, yeah. and what I, I, I'm, I'm far more surprised at the number of, of courses that don't go away, yeah. that should go away because they're toxic financially. You know, they're, they've got some horrible debt issue or something like that. Yeah. And, sure. and, and there's always somebody that thinks they can do it. There's always <laughs> somebody that thinks they're smarter than the last four guys. Yeah. Uh, and, and at some point, you know, they always talk about you want to be the you want to be the third or the fourth or the fifth owner of one of these golf <laughs> courses, and it's kind of true. But at some point, there's just nothing there. There's no meat on the bone anymore. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do say, I, you know, I always talk about the fact that I think we're we're getting we're we're we're, we're creating a smaller, smarter golf business, right? Yep. Because the big old fat golf business in the '90s, we were stupid. We were just throwing money at stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, it just—it was crazy. We had all these big ag companies coming into the industry, just going, "Oh, we'll buy everything, you guys. You know, we'll take care of all your needs." You know, yeah. and, and 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 it was fun while it lasted, but now we're kind of we're in a very mature market. It, it, it the shrinkage factor is actually fairly healthy. This sort of you know one and a half percent a year uh, shrinkage rate. Um, I, I think it's a it's as good a solution as we could have had because we could have easily crashed and burned like sure. tennis, sure. easily. Yeah. You know, so I had a conversation just yesterday, um, and we were talking about how golf was, I think, for the first time in a long time, golf participation was up for the first time in, a, in a, over across you know the United States, uh, which shows some healthy improvement in, in the number of people playing, and mm-hmm. and so with the with the limited amount of places they can play or places that just kind of get phased out i think that's an encouraging sign that we've got more golfers coming in the market and and uh you know they got you know these golf courses are filling up are, are you seeing any kind of creative stuff down your way where trying to get kids to the golf course or get women to the golf course are you, are you seeing some of those sort of uh uh special marketing things where people are are, are doing that well well, the junior golf in the state of Tennessee is phenomenal, and so they're doing yes. a lot of cool things. We've got Brent Snedeker's put his name behind the junior uh, golf tour here, and so they make it economical for kids. They do leagues, which the PGA sponsors, and you see a lot of push, and especially the private clubs, to do a lot with the juniors and getting. You know, I've always said this: you got to get the kids and the moms. And, and the ladies out because the days of the guy going to the golf course and hanging out all day are over. And you see a lot of people building programs around juniors and ladies. And so I have seen a lot of that, even, even when I was in the business full time and, and I still do it this day. I mean, I help out a driving range practice facility that's covered up, usually has a bunch of kids. They got a nine hole little, you can walk it in 45 minutes or so. Um, and you know, yeah. So I just wish that there were more facilities like that. That's where I kind of see, cause the conversation we had was, is it still a little scary for kids to just be on a big golf course and right. just hang out or, or a woman who's, you know, trying it out for the first time. And so giving them, you know, short courses, part threes, you know, I don't know top golf fits and all that. I think it helps, you know, at least gets them <laughs> to swing a club, but, but, uh, you know, getting out, getting out in the, uh, and playing the game for real is, uh, it's a challenge. So yeah, I, I think I've seen a little bit. 
do you do you did you have you not read my my column I wrote about Top Golf? Uh, if I did, <laughs> it's not sticking out to me right now. Okay, but I read well, a lot of your stuff, so well, we'll, we'll come we'll come back we'll, we'll come back in, in, yeah I'd love to talk about talk that about, talk about kids in a second. But I, I, I will I will caution any of our any of the hundreds of thousands of people that eventually listen to this podcast. That don't don't knock it. They li- a lot listen. <laughs> I know you're right. I know we'll talk about podcast. I, I do want to I want to come back and talk about podcasts in a minute because I'm a bit of a podcast skeptic. But so so but the, but but I would challenge any one of the people that are listening to this to show me one dime of revenue that's been created at a green gas golf course. By Top Golf. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't think that there is. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because they just opened one in Cleveland. They they just opened one here, and it's it's not too far from me. And it's a, it, you know, it's like the rest of them. It's a license to print money. I mean, yep. those things are amazing, right? And yeah. it's fun. I've been to them. I had a great time. Blah blah blah. So when they opened the one in Cleveland, the PR guy reads this column that I wrote, which basically said Top Golf is a bowling alley. <laughs> well, in a sense, you're not wrong. Well, I, I, I honestly, I, it's, it's the best business model I can think of. Yeah. It's an incredibly expensive, fun, great bowling alley that you go do a couple of times a year, generally when somebody else is paying the bill. But but it's not anything that's gonna that's gonna transfer to golf. And, and so I, this guy calls me up and said, "Well, we understand you're skeptical." And I said, well, yeah, I, and, and, you know, but I, here's how you could eliminate my, 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 my skepticism. Show me the research. Show me the research that proves that people who start uh, swinging a golf club at Top Golf become actual customers of golf courses. Oh, we know that. We yeah. know that. We've, we, we've got, we, anecdotally, we know that. I said, can I see that research, please? Oh, we're, we're going to get around. Top Golf's been around for 10 years, and there's not one single study that shows that they're generating rounds for green grass golf courses. So as much as I love it, it's a bowling alley. Yeah. So so I, I, I don't think that that's really going to help us in the future. But all that said, the one thing that's really changed about my outlook about golf in the last 10 years since the recession. Well, lots of things have changed, but the biggest thing has been 10 years ago, if you'd have asked me privately, Jonesy, what do you really think about, about getting kids back on the golf course? What, what can we do to get kids back on the golf course? I would have said you're screwed because kids were engaged with their devices. You know, they're all, they're all, they've all got their devices and video games and blah, 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 blah. And the ones that weren't, we're doing team sports like sure. lacrosse and soccer and football. Mm-hmm. And guess what happened? Concussions. So the, the, the number of kids playing Pop Warner football, fourth and, or excuse me, fifth and sixth grade football, is down something like 60% in the last 10 years because of concerns about CTE. Yeah. And, 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 and I honestly think that, that I think a lot of kids that historically would have gone into team sports with contact and by the way kids that play lacrosse and soccer have more concussions than kids who play football so yeah and and so fundamentally mommies and we all know and i'm married to one of them and i say this with all due respect mommies rule the world Mm -hmm. and mommies aren't going to let their kids go get their brains scrambled anymore for some pipe dream of an idea that that kid might play college football when in fact they can hand them a golf club and they can go, and this is one thing I, this was, I, I, I'm 
sometimes a little skeptical about the PGA of America and some of the things they do, but this league golf is a good idea, right? The yeah, whole like idea it. of having yep, team golf and travel teams and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think you are, I think, I think you're going to see more kids that would have never touched a golf club getting encouraged by their moms to go wear those cute little outfits and hit those little white balls at the golf courses. So I am more optimistic than I, than I used to be about, about the future of kids in the game. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, me too. I think all, all signs are, are there. They're trying to get people involved. They're trying to get kids involved, uh, trying to encourage the moms to bring the kids out. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think that, uh, I, I was kind of like you, I, I was thinking, where are we going to, how are we going to get kids out? And it's changed. Yeah. It's changed for me as well. And I, and I think that's a great thing for, you have know. you been involved in, have you gone to any of the first green kind of demos, the, the bringing kids to the golf course to show them the superintendent side of the world? We, um, so my only involvement with that, we had the first tee program out at Brentwood country club when I was there and we came out mm -hmm. and, and talked with them, kind of went through basic agronomic stuff, little things, uh, whole change in breaking bunkers, different things like that. So yeah, they, they, uh, they make it an effort to try to do that. I, I, and that's my experience with it. But, uh, I, I, I've actually offered, uh, with the, uh, the uh, Tennessee Golf Association to help even more try to get the kids more aware of, um, you know, what, what goes on behind the scenes as far as, uh, you know, what go, you know, how, how a golf course is prepared. What are some of the right. things? Because right. one of the conversations we were having was, is that kids, not everybody's going to be the next Tiger Woods or the next Roy McElroy. And it's, you know, but there's other ways to be involved with golf than, and to have a great career doing it. You know, the superintendent side, there's sales, there's, being in club fitting. So we, we want to try to give them that, that opportunity to, that just because you're not going to make it as a player or, you know, as a club pro, uh, that there's other things to be in, stay involved in golf. Yeah. I, I, I love the first green program. I, I think the idea of exposing kids to the environments of a golf course yep. and, 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 and the wildlife and, the, and the, the sustainability discussions and things like that. I think it's the greatest thing you can do not just to educate them about the realities of this ecosystem, but to get them interested in golf and to destigmatize it. You know, yeah. it's like they it, it make it someplace they want to go back to, not someplace. Oh, I got to wear a collared shirt and long pants, <laughs> and I can't play my I can't play my uh, my my music on my cell phone. So, so I think it opens the door to more kids being interested in golf. As, a, as, a, as an experience, experiential behavior is a big thing in, in these days. It's interesting because my, 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 my wife has a small business where she and a partner have been doing decorative painting for 20 plus years. Right. And, and they started out actually doing the painting, kind of faux finishes and things like that, right? And, and they actually used to go work in women's homes, people's homes, and very wealthy folks and, and really cool business. But then it gradually evolved to the point where they were selling this paint called Annie Sloan chalk paint. And, and they, they do workshops. They teach people how to do the workshop. And so they figured out pretty quickly that that was the best way to sell the paint. But now what they've caught on to is the fact that it's no longer about showing people how to paint. Yeah. It's about yeah. giving them an experience. Yeah. It's an experiential thing. That's what people want. You know, so they're looking for these things they can go do with their daughters or things they can go do with their sons or with their sister or mother-in-law or whatever. And if you can fit that bill, if you yeah. can create an experience on a, on a golf course, you're going to get them. 
So, you know, I, I think of wine and nine lesson kind of things for women. Yep. Things with, with kids where it's not just playing golf, it's stopping and looking in the creek and catching some frogs and stuff like sure. that. You know, it's, that's what got us hooked. Oh, yeah. Get muddy. So, <laughs> so I, I, I do. I, I am I was always optimistic about that part of the future. Yeah, that experience part of it's a, a big buzzword as far as how can you create a different experience. I mean, we're getting away from we're getting away from the old stuffy stigma, uh, you know, uh, like you talked about. Uh, what made it so blah was like had to wear your shirt this way, couldn't wear the hat this way, you had to wear this type of clothes. You can't listen to music now. That's all changing. I mean, that's almost like a given nowadays. Is that and and then and then the and then to take it even a step further, it's like. What separates you and creates somebody uh, an atmosphere for how why people want to come back to your facility or why they want to hang out there? You know that right. those are huge because when you're competing and and everybody's do, everybody's dollars got to go somewhere and if they're going to spend it, they they want the best experience they can get for their money for sure. Yeah, I agree. And, and too few golf courses do that kind of analysis where they and this, this is obviously more of a club leadership thing where you look around and you think okay. What do we offer here at Shady Acres Country Club in Cleveland yep. that the uh, that the other fifteen private clubs within twenty five miles don't? Yeah. You know what can we? What do? How do we? Do, how do we make ourselves distinct? And and, and I you know I, obviously I'm going to root for making an investment in the golf course and improving it, but that may not be the thing. It may be that you know there's a there's a good club here in, in the Cleveland area that spent a lot to redo their pool and deck area recently mm -hmm. and because that's really what they felt like what the, the family members wanted. Yeah. And, and they, they really had a thoughtful conversation about it and they certainly could have invested in a new irrigation system or whatever, sure. but sure. they really felt like the bigger payoff would be in getting more families engaged with the pool. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a thoughtful approach. And I think the more clubs that do that and make the superintendent a part of that discussion, yep. the, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, that goes back to what I was telling you about how, you know, the, it's got to be a family uh, deal now. It, it's got to, it's you, it, you got to have it where the kids can come, the wives can come. If they don't play golf, they have something to do because th that, that's where that's where it's you know gravitated towards. It's just not the guy, you know, the husband or boyfriend or whatever running out to the course and spending there all day and then coming home. It's just not happening. So, so I, I mentioned this earlier, so, but let me ask you, so what, what other podcasts do you like to listen to? Because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be open-minded about this and learn more about, about podcasting. That said, I'm pretty sure I did the first podcast in the turf industry about 15 years ago with Matt Schaefer. <laughs> yeah. But that's a different story. Yeah. That's, just me being, that's just me being competitive. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, um, when I started and thought about doing the podcast – I, um, I, I researched and sort of sat back and said, what's out there? What can I do? How do I want to do this? Cause I, I got into listening to podcasts as an alternative to music in the car. I started listening to, okay. and, and I really got an interest in, I said, okay. And I, and a, a little back history, I was a DJ in college. So I had a lot of this equipment sitting around and I was like, and I've told the story a couple of times, but, um, you know, I said, let's try a podcast. So I started researching, I started learning, I started doing all this. And finally, um, after a couple of uh, trial runs with my kids and just sitting down talking, I said, 
I'll do it. So I just, you know, I got on the microphone and started doing it. But, uh, I, you know, there wasn't a lot in the turf industry. There was a, there are several big ones in the golf industry, no laying sure. up and, and the yeah. fried egg and some of those. And I do listen to those. I periodically, if, I, if there's something I'm interested in, I don't listen to them on a regular basis. And, but on the turf side, there wasn't a lot there and there's, and I don't know, you know, there's probably a handful still. And, and I think, I got in at a time where I felt like I was on the ground floor of uh, doing an, doing an interview based podcast, shedding light on um, you know people in our industry who n- normally don't get to talk about their story. It's not really about hey, I'm going to drill you on what your verification process is. It's right. getting to know someone and who, and who they are because it it's more you can walk up to them and say, hey, I heard you on the podcast. You were great, and and I I appreciate you sharing the story about that. And it, it, yeah. where they would never do that, and 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 I've had so many people open up to me and talk to me about that. So, not to not to harp on what I'm doing, but to answer your question, I I listen to uh, the the pulling weeds one over in Georgia. Uh, it, yeah. I listen to them periodically. The Carolinas. Yeah, the Carolinas. Yep, Carolinas. In the Carolinas, and. Um, and that's probably the only other turf industry one I listen to the, except for the fried egg does, um, they do a superintendent series and, and they have some really, uh, unique, uh, discussions about architecture, which is always a kind of a background passion of mine. So that was, that was, it was pretty interesting to yeah. see that for, and this is a little bit inside baseball here, but the, you know, the, the turf net guys have been doing podcasts for a long time, yep. but they are, they are, they tend to be, I think, uh, more technical, sure. and that's cool. And, and, and Frank Rossi's uh, a genius, yeah. and, 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 you know. So, so I, I think it, it's interesting now that uh, a group like like Fried Egg is doing ones that are more focused on well, what's the superintendent's role in helping to preserve and manage these classic courses? Yep, and it's a it's a little bit of a spin there. Uh, but I, I I thought it was interesting that Toro was sponsoring that because that's that's a little bit out of their lane. I think it shows you that they're maybe changing the way that they look at how that they they promote stuff in the golf market. I, yeah. I thought that was I thought that was fascinating. But yeah, I, I, I it's interesting that you mentioned okay, obviously the radio background, but and then listening to music or talk radio or whatever else. I I, I think that people. Who are AM radio fans? They listen to talk radio. I think they are far more likely to be interested in podcasting. Yeah. And it's just a it's just a thing. Now I will tell you, we did the research when I was at GCI. GCI. We did uh, every couple of years. We'd say, okay, we'd send out a survey to 500 superintendents, and we'd say, okay, do you look at Twitter weekly? Are you on Twitter at all? Mm-hmm. Do you look at how often do you look at Facebook? Do you watch videos? Which videos do you watch? Do your podcast, blah, 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 blah. And so down the down the line, you know, I, I can characterize about 65% of, of superintendents said that they watched at least one video a month yeah. from a, a, about turf, right? There was about 35% that were active on Twitter on a weekly basis. Another 35% said they were active on Facebook. But here's the thing. Only 18% said that they listened to uh, podcasts more than once a month. Yeah. So there were there were quite a few people that 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 had listened to them. I think about two thirds of people said they'd ever listened to a podcast. But there's a small but very um, engaged group 
mm-hmm. that are that for them this podcast thing is the is the greatest thing in the world. Sure. But it's hilarious because I'm not one of them. I don't listen. I, <laughs> well, that I, shocks I, me. I, <laughs> well, is it because what what is? Do you have a real reason why you do it, or you just hadn't found one that sort of engages you? I think everybody consumes media differently. Sure. And, and this is a fundamental thing. And I, this, is, In fact, this is proof to, to my point that as a marketer in, in any industry, but in our industry specifically, you have to be platform agnostic. You, you, you have to create your message, your, your great message that, um, that uh, um, golf is the best way for kids to learn values and and in the environment and everything, blah, blah, blah. And then say, okay, you can't just say, we're going to podcast the hell out of that message. You have to put it on every platform available to you. Email, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, you know, uh, uh, and all these different video and audio and all these different different platforms. So uh, I'm a big believer now in just putting it out on every platform and not worrying too much about, whether or not it's the right thing to do. If there are people listening on that platform, then you should do it. And I tell the same thing, by the way, to superintendents. Uh, I, I think superintendents, for the most part, have done a, a pretty good job of using social media to communicate with each other and secondarily to communicate with members. Right. And, 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 and they forget, though, I, I'm always shocked when I go give a speech and I'll say, okay, how many of you have a Twitter feed? Two-thirds of hands will go up. How many of you put stuff into your club e-newsletter? Mm-hmm. No hands go up. <laughs> right. And, and, and I'll 100% guarantee you there are more people looking at the club e-newsletter every yeah. month than there are looking at the club's Twitter feed. So so that's my point. you you got to hit every platform you can. Yeah. But, but, don't, but make sure that just because Twitter or TikTok or whatever are sexy at the moment, you're not forgetting about the fact that e-newsletters – work sure you know that that monthly email from the club saying here's here's the tree program we're doing here's what we're changing here's a cute picture of the fox on a number 12 bunker that's awesome right but but that they're more likely to look at that than they are to look at at the facebook page or the twitter page yeah i i agree and then i'm as i as i go through this journey of doing my podcast i i've sort of gotten to the point where I've got to move and and I've got to move laterally in a lot of different areas. I want to move towards uh, video uh, as far uh-huh. as recording the podcast, which a lot of people, you know, a lot of people do. I just haven't gotten to that point yet. I want to do. Uh, I don't. I don't do at all enough self promotion and marketing, and because what I'm doing is basically. Uh, allowing other people and me to just interview you and interview other people and giving them uh, uh, a space. And I, and I'm still strangling stranglehold my audience by not being available to more people. And because there's, I mean, let's just face it. There's only going to be a certain number of people that are going to gravitate to this podcast based on the the content and what we're talking about. But, but, but along the way, I've had conversations about life about how things, about how things, how, you know, that's the concept of making the turn. It's kind of like, okay, we played bad on the front side. Let's go play back. You know, let's do, you know, so life happens to, you know, sort of correlate between that, um, you know, analogy. And so that's, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm trying to do. And, 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 and slowly, but surely this snowball is rolling and it's getting to a point where, you know, and, and I, and I use social media 
as a as a an anchor to try to you know get draw in fans and draw in people to mm-hmm. listen and you know not every it's not for everybody but uh there's going to be a lot of people that don't know um or, or haven't heard you talk or speak and they're going to say i want to listen to that because i just had <laughs> no, a chance no they're, they're all right everybody's heard me talk <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know about everybody but you do make the rounds Yes, I do. You know, I I, I, see, I really do see your point, but I, I guess what I'd say is, look, dude, if it makes you happy, you should do it. Oh yeah. You know, you you do you, and and, and you know, I, and I'm not. So so my point is, I'm not criticizing the the concept of podcasting or anything else because I think it's the greatest thing in the world. I, I think this idea of being your own, of being your own talk show host is awesome. Yeah. Uh, but but as a consumer of media. I consume, I, I tend to like things that are different. I, yeah. I still consume media differently. Um, I'll still read long form print. I don't read it as much as I used to. Um, I haven't read a printed newspaper probably in five years, which blows my mind <laughs> because I, I grew up consuming two to three of them every day. Where do you get your news from now? Just Twitter. Twitter, yeah. For, for Twitter and then the apps. I'll look at the, the, uh, uh, the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, the AP app, which is excellent. The sure. Associated Press News app, it's awesome. Um, CNN, etc. So, so yeah, I, I, I consume it from a whole bunch of different places. But I don't know. I, I'm also, it's interesting because I'm also not a binge viewer, like a Netflix viewer. Are you a Netflix person where you're not, watching those shows? I'm more of a live sports guy. I do watch them, but I don't, I'm not like, I wouldn't say I sit down and just go heavy on something every once in a while i'll watch a show that interests me but that's about it yeah so so uh, you know that's the other thing is i don't i don't connect well with this idea of sitting and watching 27 episodes of uh of uh the, the, some of the latest show on netflix so it, it's I, I don't know so yeah. everybody consumes media differently and fortunately there's nine billion people or whatever on the planet <laughs> now so you can find an audience <laughs> yes you can yeah <laughs> Well, um, so I, I was was thinking about something, and and it, I'm, go back to social media and and Twitter and maybe Instagram or something. Whereas, how, what are you telling superintendents how to use that platform when they sort of merge their personal life and their work life? Because I don't have, I, I have a couple of different Twitters for the podcasts and 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 some work stuff, but I primarily stay in one lane, which is my personal account and and merge everything together. How do you how do you see that? And what would you tell somebody? I, I, I think that that's the only practical way to do it. Number one, because this idea of having, I have a business Facebook and I have a personal Facebook yeah. and stuff. And, and there was a time when you could kind of maybe sort of do that. I, I don't think that that's true anymore. And frankly, the value of it comes from you. It comes from the you. It doesn't come from, you know, your, your quote unquote business account can't exclude who you are as a person. Right. So, so, you know, my advice is, be as honest as you want to be, be as forthright as you are comfortable being and, and, and be, you know, just be yourself because people pick up on that. Um, The number one thing that, that people use to judge uh, uh, a social post or whatever is authenticity. Sure. And, and is that really authentic or is that somebody playing a character? You know, and, and I think, you, I mean, there's people that there's people in every walk of life that are portraying something, trying to get you to believe they're this 
social media personality. Instagram is yeah. a great example. Right? Yeah. Instagram is almost entirely driven by people trying to create personas. Sure. Um, I don't have a problem with that. That's entertaining as hell. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's not really. You should I try like. TikTok if you want entertainment. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I love it. Yeah. I, it's, it's Snapchat is hilarious. My, my Mrs. Jones is, I, we call her the 50 something queen of Snapchat. She's really good at doing the little, doing the little, uh, uh, gizmos and, and gimmicks and stuff on Snapchat. I, I can't do any yeah. of that. I'm, I'm awful at it. But, but so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's just finding, finding a stream that makes sense for you and then being authentic about it. So, so the personal thing versus the business thing, I just don't think you can, I don't think you can get it. So the, and, and the rule ought to be, and this is, this is, you know, certainly I have, I have occasionally been, excoriated for stuff I posted on social media. Not often. It's not bad, but occasionally. So, you know, the the general rule is don't say anything on social media. You wouldn't be comfortable telling everybody, you know, the old, the old thing was, you know, don't, don't print anything that you wouldn't be comfortable announcing over the the PA system at Yankee stadium. And that's kind of true. So, so, you know, be true to yourself and be true to your values when you're, when you're communicating this stuff. But the other thing on social media, and I, this is where I really encourage superintendents to think is to have a plan. Don't just start a Twitter feed. Don't just, just Oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to share this and blah, blah, blah. And random sharing stuff, have a plan. And, and it starts with what do you want to accomplish at your golf course? You know, do, you know, is it, are you there to uh, rebuild the golf course? And if so, you, you should use it to document that process. Are you there to um, Are you there to raise the level of awareness about the importance of maintenance? If so, you should be documenting that. Yeah. So try try to have kind of a little plan, a little a little. These are my three or four communication goals for this next year, and I'm going to use Twitter and a an newsletter and a blog. Um, blogging is central to all of this. Sure. A blog is. A blog is just a bucket that you put your content in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we all, everybody, oh, I got to write this blog article, blah, 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 3,000 words, bowl. You know, put up five or six, put up some good pictures and some, some cut lines, you're fine. Yeah. But, but, but to make sure that you're doing it for a reason, make sure you're doing it because it's going to advance the needs of the golf course or it's going to help you in your career or whatever else. So, so be thoughtful. Yeah. Be thoughtful about what you post and what those messages are. Yeah. Not to, say any names or call anybody out, but what, Oh, let's do, come on. <laughs> what is, our industry is kind of archaic in a lot of the techno. I mean, you did some, you know, and I'm, I, I'll go back and listen and to quote the uh, statistics, but we don't, we don't have a lot of guys who are so-called technology driven anyways. I mean, we, you know, still an old garden, but it's changing. And that's why I think podcasts and some, and social media has taken over. But um, where do you see, you know, how do you see those guys trying to get into the game? Or are they just past it where they're not going to do it anymore? You, and, and they're looking to the younger assistants and the other people to kind of drive that. Well, it's not for everybody, but I, but I will say that, that I think if I was a, if I was a 40 something superintendent or even a 50 something superintendent and I wanted to teach myself a new skill, this would be a pretty good, good one to learn. Yeah, I agree. Because, because you know, the, there is, it, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's become a way that you can share information with people on multiple platforms. And so that the golf customer of the future, the club member of the future is very likely used to consuming media on these things. And if you're not giving them that, they're likely not hearing it anyplace else. Yeah. So, 
the, the best thing in the world, you know, again, going back 30 years ago, 33, 32 years ago, when I was the director of communications at GCSA, and my job was to wake up every day thinking, how can I help my superintendents communicate better with golfers? If I could have envisioned something like a blog, <laughs> like we have now, where, yeah. where, where a good superintendent can post their program and they can make their case authentically yeah. and not have to rely on a, on a general manager or a golf professional or somebody whose needs weren't necessarily the same as the superintendent yeah. to communicate all that stuff. That would have been a dream. Sure. I, would, I would have, I mean, it's, it's the most amazing tool ever. The superintendents now have a way to talk to the consumers of their product. Yep. And you didn't, you didn't have that nope. 20 years ago. So, so take advantage. I guess my advice would be take advantage of that. Yep. Or they're going to find somebody who does. I hear you. I got a controversial topic, not so controversial. Just so bear with me. Um, me. I've got. I see. I see this, and I started to write a post about this, and I stopped. But um, I see guys in our industry golfer shaming, uh, and oh, what yeah. I mean by that is like my member. I saw my member not rake the bunkers, or he drove this way or this way. What What do you what What is your take on that? Because I I, I feel like that. And I'll give you mine after you kind of give me yours, but I, I think that's a slippery slope for uh, us superintendents. I, I, it's totally up to the culture of the course that they're at. Yeah. If that's part of if that, because there's some places you know as well as I do, where they give people shit if they if they don't rake bunkers or whatever. That yep. that's the members the members support that, and, and if you're part of that culture, that's fine. But if you're not, and if you look like you're nagging, it's not going to be good for you. Yeah. If you're the guy who's constantly, or woman, who's constantly nagging the, the golfers about about fixing ball marks and doing this and doing that, um, I, I think you do have to be careful. So, it, it, you know, it, it's, it, it depends on the culture of the facility and whether or not that's part of the culture. Yeah, I agree. I, I, but, but, but at the same time, if you've got Brandon DeChambeau banging his putter, slamming his putter on the green at wherever the hell he was yeah. uh, 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 repeatedly. Um, that's a different story. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shame that guy. Every yeah. Time. Well, yeah. Cause people look at him as a, as he should be an example and, and of what not to do. And, and obviously he's got a lot of eyes on him and that's, he should be called out and, not, and rightfully so it's, it's yeah. more public than, you know, me driving out on the golf course and seeing, you know, uh, uh, a member drove through a wet area and I take a picture of his cart tracks and post it on, you know, and say, look at this idiot, <laughs> you know, right? you know, I know, yeah. you got to, you have to, you have to be careful with that stuff. And, and, you know, and there's certainly other things. There's a lot of discussion about whether or not it's a good idea to post pictures of the, the mower in the Creek, yep. you know, the maintenance or the, the utility vehicle in the pond and mm. all of that kind of stuff. And number one, Let's not make light of things that are dangerous. Sure. No, <laughs> you know, I agree. If people have been engaging in dangerous activities. Number two, this whole idea, oh, well, we're going to post it over on Gary Griggs' Facebook page so nobody can see it. Anybody who thinks that is true is <laughs> lying to themselves. You know, this whole idea, oh, it's only on my Facebook page. Nobody else can see it, yeah. which is just ridiculous. So, so yeah, there's still some discussion about that. There's some discussion about, and I tend to agree with this one. Um, as somebody who worked for a big distributor for a while, not a good idea to post your picture of your early order uh, uh, being delivered 
you know, cases and cases of product and big piles of, you know, <laughs> of, of re regulated chemistry, and, you know, with a giant pallet of stuff. And it looks pretty impressive and it's yeah. kind of funny in our whole world. But it's not so it's, it's probably not the best message to send to people outside the community of superintendents. Yeah, I 100 I percent agree. I mean. It's uh, it's amazing to me. I, you know, what do you think? Yeah, you so, so. What's your what's your thought on this? I, I'm I'm in line with you. I I I I tend to would keep stuff like that in house. Um, I would probably take a picture of it, but maybe write something about it in the newsletter. Um, as far as if it was a you know a private club or whatever, or or try to communicate <laughs> it in a way where I wasn't calling anybody out because on social media it just looks like I'm doing it just to gain attention for some reason it's not it's not as effective to me and especially i would never want to um draw light to a, an, a situation like a mower uh being in a in a creek or or something dangerous like that i think accidents happen and and that's part of it you know and and use it as a teaching uh instrument if you want to but i don't right. i don't necessarily think that should be for public consumption it, that's just my opinion yeah, I, I tend to agree. There, there. I mean, it, it's 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 inside the family. It's yeah. kind of an inside yeah. baseball thing, and, and that's okay. But occasionally, it is gonna. It, it, occasionally, it will jump. Every once in a while, it's gonna bite somebody in the ass. Yeah. You know. So so. Wanna, oh, I didn't mean for it to be taken that way. Well, yep. it doesn't matter. You're fired. You know, our insurance company didn't like that, so you're fired or whatever. And, and that's happened a few times. I mean, I do know. I don't know eight or 10 guys over the years that have been fired because of something on social media. Wow. Um, yeah. There, there was a, there were a few that got sideways with Brandel Chambly a couple of years ago when the U S open was at, uh, at, uh, uh Chambers Bay. Bay. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and there was, there were a lot of people who are justifiably kind of angry, but, but you can't lose your mind and say terrible things. And, you know, go out of your way to try to get blocked by somebody. That's just tacky. Yeah. That's not going to change anybody's mind. It just makes it, the only thing, and I apologize for saying this, the only thing that happens in a pissing contest like that is that everybody smells like piss. piss yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> well, um, transition a little bit. You've wrote, you've written a lot of words and a lot of things. I, I want to know sort of what was your favorite article and maybe what your most controversial article that you've ever written. Oh, geez. There you go. Well, um, the article that I think has been read the most over the years is my booze article. I, I wrote a column in August of 2010 when I was about six months sober. Okay. And it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, as honest a thing as I've ever written, and 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 it was probably stupid to write it when I was that new. You know, yeah. I was still pretty newly sober, but I was very excited about it. Um, in, in in AA, they call that the little pink cloud. That you, when you first get sober, it feels like you're floating on a little pink cloud, and then everything's great, and you want to just tell everybody, and you're in love with the world, and that's true. Yep. It, but that doesn't last. You do run into problems. You run into challenges. Some sure. people. You know, I, I'm, I'm blessed. I never relapsed. I, I've been sober for 10 years now. But some people, you know, you could bite you in the ass. But but that has been very rewarding because of the number of people who have come to me and said, I have a problem. What would you do if you were me? Mm -hmm. Or where can I get help? Or I need to talk to somebody. 
or whatever else. And those have mostly been people in the industry, but also there's been people outside the industry who don't know anything about golf, yeah. that, that they saw this article in an AA meeting someplace or whatever. So, you know, that was, I think that's the thing that I, I'm most proud of, that, that that's an article that transcended turf. Sure. And, and I thought that was, that was, pretty, that was pretty nice. Um, did, does that, did you ever read that one? Is that one that... I, I do remember. I mean, I, and I and I say this in all honesty, but my, I have the worst memory of any person alive. <laughs> is is that I, I as I've read a, a quite, especially the ones where you were uh, writing sort of like a editorial on the back pages of of yeah. maybe uh, yeah. golf course industry and golf them. I I've read a lot of those. I the, you know that none none of them stick out. Not and that's not to say that it's just I have a terrible memory. <laughs> I put you on the spot. It was yeah. terrible. No, that's, it's that's fine. Terrible. I love being put on the spot because I can't remember my name half the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, so well, I, I I think I think the ones that, that I enjoyed the most were ones where where I did get that kind of feedback. Um, I, I wrote one um, uh, about six months ago. Which was a, a, I'd actually written the original version of it. I wrote for the Carolinas magazine. I, I, I for years wrote a column for the Carolinas magazine, and, and as I was wrapping up my time at, at GCS GCI, I wanted to, to write something for assistant superintendents, and so I, I wrote a piece, and I think it was in August of two thousand and nineteen, yeah. so less than a year ago. That was all aimed at just advice for assistant superintendents. And I was gratified that that got a lot of attention. Yeah. And, and, and since then, I've had lots more. I, I think I've had lots more um, contact with assistant superintendents, and and more more of them reaching out to kind of figure out, well, what do I do? How do I get engaged with with networking? Yeah. How do I develop my career? Who are these recruiters? So that was another one where I felt like there was good connection because. There was a whole bunch of these assistants out there who were trying to do the right thing, but they didn't know where to turn. Right. Um, so, so I like that one a lot. Um, controversial. Oh God! I mean, go back to the <laughs> golf. Go back to the golf team days. I enjoy. I endorsed George Bush for president. Yeah. And that that may surprise a lot of, of folks who are listening who don't think I'm. I'm who think I'm some raging liberal? Well, I'm a bit of a raging liberal, but it didn't mean I was going to vote for Alf. Freaking gore, <laughs> you know. So, so I hear you. Uh, I, uh, so, so I did. I, I endured. I endorsed George Bush, describing him though as as Molly Ivins had described him, which was a uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Ten gallons of dumb, of dumb and an eight. Or, or what, what's the old thing for a Texas cowboy hat? It's it's a sixteen gallon hat, or what do they call that? Your, your guess is ten, my ten gallon, ten gallon ten, hat. Molly, Molly Ivins described George Bush as twenty gallons of dumb in a ten gallon hat, <laughs> and, and it was kind of true, but but it worked out fine. So so that was a little bit controversial. I did, and I, I heard from people saying that you have no business being a, a, a being a, an editor, a, a turf editor, endorsing the president. And my yeah. point was, well, you read it, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so so that helped, um, and then. And then obviously, you know, uh, I, 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 I was uh, I, uh, something I wrote not too long ago kind of uh, um, sped up maybe what would have been an inevitable process of me uh, changing jobs. And, and, and so some people some people uh, agreed with what I had to say. Some people didn't. Yep. And, and, and so but that's that's part of what you do. Um, I put my name on everything I believe. Mm-hmm. I've never ever done anything um, 
uh, done anything anonymously. Uh, so I feel like if, if you're going to say it, you should say it. Yeah. I have a big problem with these fake accounts in the industry. Oh, yeah. I, have a big, I have a big problem with things We didn't even like, go down that road. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, here, here's, here's how far I'll go down that road. Anonymous accounts suck. Yeah. And, and, and the one exception is, is Grumpy Super. There's and some Grumpy funny Super, ones, though. <laughs> yeah, Grumpy. No, it's not even that it's funny. Yeah. It's well-intentioned. Sure. It's not mean. Yeah. You know, there's so many of these where they're just mean-spirited and yeah. nasty. And, and it's not just turf. It's There's all these golf, you know, woke guys. And, you know, just just tell us who you are and what you think and we'll judge you. Sure. Based on, sure. on on what you present, don't feel like you have to hide behind some phony avatar and some nonsense uh, name. You know, the evil greenkeeper or the 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 nasty super or the the, the you know the oh I got a problem. I do have a problem. You, you know, you mentioned earlier the the uh, the oh no the one there's one that club pro guy yeah. who's the club pro guy. Well, a subdivision of Club Pro Guy is Miguel, the the uh, the superintendent at Club Pro Guy's uh, quote unquote greenkeeper, uh-huh. and, and it's racist and it's awful, yeah. and it doesn't portray our people very well at all. Right. And I don't find it funny a bit. Yeah. So you know, I, I I think I think we have to be real careful about encouraging some of these sock puppet phony baloney accounts. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it, being controversial is, is something you should do when you genuinely feel strongly about something, not just because you're looking for clicks. Yeah. Well, I, I found that whether I want to believe it or not, I'm in the media now because I've, you know, I've, yeah. I've, I've got over 50 hours of content and a lot of stuff yeah. out there. And, and, uh, while I will say that none of the podcasts are live at the moment, and that's a good thing. A lot of times I've never had to edit one single thing in terms of, you know, putting something out there. Cause I truly believe that what I'm doing is authentic. I love the, the content. I, I don't ever ask any, you know, I'm not going to get in any real deep, you know, discussion about philosophies and things like that. I think that's for another place, but at the same time I would. And I, and if I felt like that was what I truly believed and I would post it. And I think that's important. And, and no matter what I write, what I say, what I do, I want it to be what I truly believe and what I'm passionate about. And I, and so that's why I I don't hide behind anything. If I've, I've posted things that I've taken back because I'm like, that's probably not the smartest thing in the world, but you know, um, that's more of me saying, you know, let's be smart about what I say. And that's more on social media or something like that. And, you know, uh, I'm not a, a huge public figure or anything like that. So if somebody saw it, then I'm not going to, you know, get into much trouble. But uh, as far as that goes, I, I mean, you know, that's kind of where I stand on it all. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said earlier, I admire you because you're doing this because you love to do it. No. You know, you, you, you're not particularly, this is not some giant business plan where you're someday going to start selling a bunch of advertising and all this other stuff. You're doing this because you love doing it and you love yeah. talking to people. I yeah. think that's great. Yep. I'd, but but the, the clickbait thing, not so much. I, yeah. I'm not crazy about the clickbait thing, but but it is what it is. I, it's been kind of funny watching. Um, that's become a with with all the other podcasts. Uh, that's become a bit of a controversy with the old media and now the quote unquote new media, the yeah. fried egg guys and the and, and, and the barstool golf guys. Which you know, again, it's, it's funny. And, and, and it's cute and they're putting their own names on it. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. I'm okay with that. 
but at some point it, it's it, it is kind of interesting to see this clash between the old media the golf digest guys and john huggin from england and and, and shackleford's kind of in the middle of this and then these new guys mm-hmm. who uh you know there was much uh much uproar because they were high-fiving with Tiger in an event and media people don't do that and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, well, who says? Right. <laughs> I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell you what, I've gone to a lot of, I've gone to a lot of majors and, gone to, you know, I've gone to, I don't know, 35 or 40 majors. Wow. And it's pretty hard not to be starstruck. Yeah, you know, for when sure. you stand there t- talking to these guys and pretending like, Oh, no problem. I'm talking to Crenshaw and Palmer today or no bothers Tiger or whatever. I I defy you to pretend that you're not impressed. (laughs) I I, I was at the world golf championship uh, this past year and got to see a lot of those guys up close and personal. And I've been to several tournaments, not near as many as you. And I'm, I'm as impressed and and in awe of them every time I see them. And it's just a, it's just a, you know, I don't know how you can't be. And and like you said, I mean, it's just something special to be around those guys. They have a charisma about them. Um, you know, a lot of guys are very personable. They're now they're on social media. So you're getting to see a lot of more uh, into their lives and personal lives. And yep. it's just a great thing, you know? And um, I, I, I mean, the, the sky's the limit on where all that goes for me. I mean, anyways, I, you know, always been a big tiger fan and I'd love to see him playing well and doing things like that. And so it's, it's just cool all around. At, it's it's not the worst thing to have Tiger playing well. He, he's uh, he he has he has done nothing but make money for the rest of us. Oh. And so so everybody should know, be uh, thinking him. <laughs> well, but but at the same time, it should just be kind of a bonus. You can't you know the the I used to tell people that that you know that that, that if you're working at a golf club. Yeah. Where their business philosophy is, well, just wait until Tiger starts winning again and everything will be great again. Right. You need to go find a new job right <laughs> away. So, so whatever, whatever Tiger provides for us these days, I think it's found money. But uh, it is nice to see him um, sane yeah. and, and, and comfortable in his own skin sure. again, a little bit, yeah. kind of. Um, if you've not already done so, read... Uh, Read uh, was it Gary Van Sickle's piece that he wrote about Tiger on his 40th birthday? No, Alan Shepnick. Alan Shepnick's piece about Tiger on his 40th birthday. Yeah. Outstanding piece of journalism. Explains a lot about Tiger and his mentality. Yeah. All, all goes back to his dad. Yeah, it really does. Sure. I, I bought his book that was an unauthorized autobiography because I, th- you know, kind of thought the guy was kind of written off, and he. I started reading it, and then he then he comes back. He's playing well he wins the masters i'm like i'm not reading the rest of this book because his story is not finished yet and it's going to be a completely new book to read i'm you know and and i don't want to i don't want anything because we all kind of know who especially who grew up with him we kind of know his story and what he's been through and ups and downs and i'm I'm like you i I, it's a whole new deal but he still he still has that burning desire now he's now he's got seems to be a, a lot clearer focus about his entire life as opposed yeah, to yeah I, I i agree yeah. and, and that's what that's what being being a dad will do you know yeah. he, he's been a parent for a long time but i think he's now really becoming a dad so do you want to hear do you want to hear my one and only tiger story absolutely and, and, absolutely and I, I've, I've had a number of interactions with him over the years he's not somebody that you engage with he's not like crenshaw or one of those guys you can walk up and have a conversation with. right but so but but he was when he was i i'm, I'm gonna say he was 15 Right. So this was 26 years ago. And I worked for the GCSA and I was on the board of a thing called Hook a Kid on Golf. I was a 
all the allied associations had a representative. So I, I was our representative for hook a kid on golf. And it was this great junior golf program that was aimed at kids in the inner city who, you know, so ur- underserved kids, kids sure. from urban areas. Sure. And, and Eli Callaway was the big sponsor of this whole thing. So there was this big fundraiser down in Florida at uh, Wild Dunes, I think. And, and so the, there were a bunch of celebrities there. There was a, a, a bunch of LPGA players and Bob Murphy and Tony Jacklin, who I got to be friends with, great guy, uh, and McMallon and, and people that were there because they were really committed to, to growing the game for, for kids. Yep. And so Eli, even at that point, knew that there was something special about this 14, 15-year-old kid named Tiger Woods. And I think he just had won his first junior amateur. Right. Right. But he, he was enormously famous even at that point because he'd been on Mike Douglas when he was a kid and all this other stuff. So anyway, we, we have the we have the, the the meeting and then we go out to the there's a there, there, there's this demo because Eli had flown Earl and Tiger in to do this kind of, of demonstration thing. And so Tiger's just unbelievable. I'd never seen anybody so good with grown-ups before, but he's really good with the kids. And he, he looks geeky, you know, he's got the big round glasses and the, the giant tractor hat on. It was, a, a, sure. you know, Tiger circa 1991 or whatever it was when he, he was still a kid and he was kind of goofy looking. And so I'm just so impressed with this young man and I'm thinking, oh, he's going to be really, he's going to do big things or whatever. And so we, we, we wrap up all the demos and everything and we're going out to play the, 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 uh, going out to play the scramble. And I end up, they have everybody's carts all staged with their clubs and stuff uh, out on the car already. And so they're putting us on people movers to, to take us out to the, to the golf course. And I end up sitting on the back of this six-seat Cushman deal with Tiger Woods, 14 years, 15 years old. And, and he couldn't have been more kinder or nicer to me. And Mr. Jones, I really respect superintendents. I, you know, I, the, the superintendent of the course I grew up playing on was great. He taught me a lot, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets quiet for a second. right? <laughs> and, and he looks at me and he says, Mr. Jones, do you like jokes? And I said, sure. And he proceeded to tell me the dirtiest joke I think I ever heard. <laughs> so, right? right. I, I kid you not. It was... <laughs> It was really dirty yeah. <laughs> and, and, and really inappropriate. And, 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 and I kind of laughed at it and I, I forgot about that until later on and all the stuff that happened with him. And, 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 I, and people would say, well, did you ever see a side of Tiger that you didn't understand? I was like, there was this one time when he told me this joke. And, and to this day, I kind of remember what the joke was about. But I'm not going to repeat it because right. it really wasn't one that you would ever want to repeat. So yeah, that's my that's my one and only Tiger story. Oh, that's awesome. Well, um, <laughs> what's uh, what's uh, coming up in the near future for you? What do you got uh, going on? Building a business, BJ. You know, I'm yep. I'm, I'm I'm working with uh, companies big and small in the industry, yeah. and, and trying to make this work on my own. And, and it's 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 tough because it's yep. a commitment. You know, for those of us that are used to having insurance and those of us who are used to having benefits and all that stuff, I'm sort of working through all those things sure, and, sure. and setting up a business. But I am, I'm heartened at how many companies uh, I think are tired of doing the same old thing yeah. with with marketing and content. Um, I'm heartened that all the relationships that I built up over the years 
um, that, that those are, those are valued mm -hmm. and that people are, are willing to talk to me and they're interested in this idea of, you know, maybe we can, maybe we can be smarter and better and more authentic yeah. about how we talk to the market. So it's very much the stuff that you and I talked about a little bit ago that I told the superintendents the same thing. Yeah. You need to be consistent in your storytelling. You need to have good, positive messages and you need to do it on every platform that you can think to put your message out there. Absolutely. So it's, it's not rocket science. You know, it's, yeah. not, it's not any great secret. It's just helping them understand that and, and putting that in the context of how to communicate with superintendents. So that and I'm doing tons and tons of speaking. Yeah. So that's, that's something I love doing. And uh, uh, I, I'd like to do more of it places where it's warm. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. yeah um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. And, and again, I think that the final thing is I, I really want to do as much as I can for young people coming up in this industry right now here the next couple of years, because I, I think there's, there's really, there's never been a better time, maybe the early eighties, yeah. never been a better time to be a young person coming into this industry with a degree because it's flip-flop completely from the days when there was literally a thousand young people a year graduating with some sort of a piece of paper that said that they could be a golf course superintendent to now that it's less than, get this, less than 200. Wow. And, and, and so those 200 can kind of name their own tune, sure. you know, and that's, so that's four year and two year. Mm -hmm. um, and, and those people are in high, high demand. And, you know, you talk to Kaminsky and the two year program at Penn State and I went over and, and, and talked to them not too long ago over in State College, and I told them flatly, I'm like, you, you, have, a, you have an opportunity that nobody's seen in the century in a long time. Yeah. And the boomers are retiring. Everybody's moving up. There's nobody to backfill. You're it. You can, you, you're, you've got a, an incredible opportunity if you want to continue the values of this profession, if you want to continue to be the band of, of uh, brothers and sisters that we've always been. Yep. And, and if you're willing to maintain the traditions and the, the things that made this, this great, the sky's the limit for you. Right. So uh, working with assistance would be the kind of the last thing on my list here moving forward the next couple of years. That's awesome. I have a passion of, uh, for assistance as well. I've tried to reach out to guys to have them on the podcast to to not only ask, you know, talk to them about what their uh, struggles and what they want to do and how they want to get there. Cause that, you know, that's where I started and that's, you know, I've yeah. got a good story to tell and, and I've kind of been through a couple of different, uh, you know, assistants. And so I, I share the same passion with you. So if I can ever help in any way, I'd love to have, uh, you know, love hey, to help. Dude, dude, teach them how to network. And, yep. and that's really what it comes down to is, you know, it's, it, networking is not a dirty word. No. And, and we, we, we somehow have, have, told all of them, oh, you don't want to talk to anybody. Name me a legendary superintendent or person in this industry who will not gladly talk to a young person. Sure. So so this whole, this whole idea of you can't pick up the phone and call Matt Schaefer or Bob Farron or Paul Latshaw is nonsense, you know? So so take advantage of the fact that you work in this industry where people are so happy, happy to help you and want to see you succeed. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and build those networks and build those relationships because out of that, you're going to have not only an incredible career, you're going to have friends forever. Oh yeah. I, I have a saying that I, that I say quite often is, uh, your network is your net worth. 
and I, I stole <laughs> that. But uh, I think it's I think it's one hundred percent true that uh, as I've gotten into the media space and doing things and sort of trying to find my way in the in this whole uh, landscape, uh, you know talking to people, which is a huge hurdle for a lot of people, just picking up the phone and or reaching out mm-hmm. by text or email. That that's a that's a hurdle that you gotta get over mentally in your own mind. But once you do, you every step along the way, uh it seems that uh, every time I've done it, it's always been productive. It's always been positive. And uh, I can't I can't say it enough that reaching out to people and trying to find as many getting around as many people as you can uh is huge. I, and I yeah. and I think that's the you know that's a, a real take home message. Yep, I hope they do it. Yep. Well, um, before I let you go, what what do you uh, sort of like to do for fun? You a football fan? What are you into? Base- <laughs> you talk baseball a couple of times. But what when you're not when you're not building a business or you know educating or whatever? What are you doing for fun? I I I, I have uh, I have a two and a half year old granddaughter. Mm-hmm. who is uh, the, the light of my life. And she, she and I, uh, uh, in, in many weekends, Saturdays, will go out and go on adventures together. Uh, we'll go to the museum or we'll go out in the country and get muddy or we'll go try to catch frogs in the creek. Sure. And um, so, so there, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And, and um, I, I highly recommend grandparenting. It's way better than actual parenting. Parenting was a pain in the ass. I'm not ready for grandparenting yet. <laughs> oh, oh, trust me, it's way better. It's, yeah. it's so much more fun. So, so I do that, yep. and then I, I, I think a lot of people know I like to walk. I, I go for a, a daily power walk for about four miles, about an hour, or something like that, and I try to walk different places and see stuff. Yep. And uh, the world is a very beautiful place at slow speed. At, you know, four miles an hour or whatever you're whatever you're walking. Yeah. So, um, I, 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 I try to, I try to do that in my spare time. And, um, you know, I, I, I try to stay out of trouble. I really do. Sure. I, 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 I don't, uh, I, I, I will play golf occasionally, but more these days it's out walking nine holes with my, with my daughter. Yeah. Um, I thoroughly enjoy that. Um, uh, I don't, I don't play, I don't play well enough to enjoy the courses that you and I get to go see, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So one of, one of the things that I, I it's, it's hilarious because people will say, well, have you been to Cyprus? And I'm like, well, yeah, I've been there a couple of times and, and uh, they're nice enough to give me the tour, but I don't want to play there because it, <laughs> it, it would make my head explode. You know, <laughs> I, I much more enjoy doing the Cushman tour of a great golf course with the superintendent than trying to pretend that I can play that golf course. So, that's that's a, a lesson I learned in my old age. So, sure. yeah, I, I I have plenty of fun, and I I I have a lot of a lot of joy in my life that that I made it this far and didn't manage to kill myself with alcohol and didn't manage to kill myself with cigarettes, and so I'm going to try to enjoy the rest of my life healthy. Awesome. Well, I want to tell you that I appreciate you doing this. It uh, I'd love to speak to you uh, probably offline or some point down the road about uh, more about the podcasting space and how you, you know, sure, sure. helping with marketing and advertising and, and, you know, just how to get sponsors because, you know, at some point I'd like to see this thing, you know, become a real business. But again, it's, it's something I'm having fun doing and I'm not, I never started it to make a, a, a single cent. So, you know, that's why I think I've continued to do it and do it for fun and talk to guys like yourself. So I just want to say thank you and I appreciate you doing it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I appreciate the invitation and uh, you, you've 
opened my eyes to parts of podcasting that I, that I, I, I didn't know existed. So I, I, I'm, I'm more open-minded than I was when we started, and that's all you can ever hope for. Well, there you go. If you ever get down to Tennessee, give me a shout, and we'll uh, – Go to Loveless Cafe or wherever you want to catch up and have a... a you know it, baby. I just finished <laughs> off my Loveless Cafe uh, uh, jelly yeah. uh, not too long ago, so I do need to come down. So listeners listening at home, if you go to Nashville, you do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go to Loveless Cafe. There you go. Best best biscuits, I think, in America. Yep. And uh, and, and you can't go wrong with, with breakfast, lunch, or dinner at the Loveless Cafe. That for sure. Well, uh, tell everybody where they can follow you on all your social medias before we get out of here. <laughs> wow. Because I know so, they're going to want... I'm, I'm, I'm promoting you as much as I can here. <laughs> thank you very much. I'm at at Pat Jones Tweets on Twitter. I'm at turfed underscore at underscore large, turfed at large on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Facebook as me. And I actually do have a Snapchat account, but I probably won't accept your friendship because I really don't <laughs> want anybody to see what I'm doing on there. There you go. Um, but that, that, that should pretty much cover it. But, but I'm also um, uh, uh, soon, and there's a little bit of news here, I guess, launching a blog. Okay. And it's, it's called the, the, the Flagstick Blog. And it's just going to be a place for me, mm-hmm. uh, again, trying to follow my own advice to post all my content. So yep. folks will be seeing that shortly, too. And uh, I, again, I couldn't I couldn't be uh, I couldn't have enjoyed this more. Really appreciate it. BJ. Awesome. Well, best of luck to everything. Let's catch up again soon. And, okay. and I appreciate you doing it. I thank you. And uh, for everybody listening, that's it for the episode. Mr. Pat Jones, go uh, check him out on all his social media. And until next time, I will talk to you soon. 